Well, good morning, NBC. Welcome back for the penultimate message in our series, Meaning in the Madness. Um, if you've actually missed any part of the series, you can go to our website and you can rewatch, you can relive all the exciting moments. In fact, if you haven't seen any messages, you can also play a game called Find the Reese's References. That's right, Pastor Dave, that's just for you. It's a fun game. Um, now, in all seriousness, we, we have heard that this has been a wonderful and an impactful series for many. Um, Ecclesiastes just has a way of mm, just tapping into our deepest longings and, and meeting us where we are. So topics like meaning and purpose, time, money, suffering, wisdom, risk, we talked about that last week. We all have to confront these topics. Today's message is no different. Solomon is going to discuss the tension, the tension of youth, old age, and death, all towards an eye, uh, all towards an, with an eye towards our eternal home. Now, these themes coalesced for me recently as I was reading a book by author Tim Challies entitled "Seasons of Sorrow." And if you don't know who Tim Challies is, he's an extremely popular and well-known Christian blogger. You can see a picture of his family right here on the screen. Tens of thousands have visited his uh, site each and every day. People feel personally connected to his writing, which is why the news he received on November 3rd, 2020, just sent shockwaves through the Christian community. On that day, Tim Challey's 20-year-old son, Nick, you can see him on the right over here, died suddenly and inexplicably, I didn't cut this right in the first service either, (laughs) suddenly and, uh, and unexplained, there you go, at college, at 20 years old. Now, this type of event doesn't and shouldn't happen. But here's what Tim wrote on his blog the day after he received the news. He said, in all the years I've been writing, I've never had to type words more difficult, more devastating than these. Yesterday, the Lord called my son to himself, my dear son, my sweet son, my kind son, my godly son, my only son. Nick was playing a game with his sister and fiancé and many other students at his college in Louisville, Kentucky, when he suddenly collapsed, never regaining consciousness. Students, paramedics, doctors battled valiantly but could not save him. He's with the Lord he loved, the Lord he longed to serve, and we have no answers to the what or why questions. Then he concluded, he said, I received the phone call every parent dreads. The one which a doctor says, we did everything we could. We did everything we could. So sudden, unexplained, unexpected death in his youth. The book Seasons of Sorrow walks through one year of journal entries that Tim wrote following the death of his son, how he processed the grief and how he chose to live in response to the event. And as I share that story, no doubt it touches a nerve deep inside of you. Because the reality is youth and death, those are both things we need to experience. But the death of somebody in their youth is particularly devastating. Now personally, I've witnessed classmates and friends and students even die in their youth. Death comes for us all. And it does not discriminate based on age. Now, what struck me about Tim Challey's son, Nick, was his maturity and preparedness. Later in the book, Tim writes this. He says, it was not my wish that Nick would live so short a life, 
But I cannot and will not mourn as one who has no hope, because Nick was ready. Nick was ready when death came. And my question, and I think Solomon's question today is this, are you ready or are you afraid to die? I remember when I first encountered death, I was seven years old. My grandfather died of cancer and it was terrible. My parents decided I was too young to go to the funeral. But then in the span of four years, 1988 to 1992, I lost not just my grandfather, but my maternal grandmother and my father. Death had stared me in the face multiple times by 10 years old. Because the truth is, we never know. We never know the day or the hour or the age. You could be 15. You could be 45. You could be 95. You don't know. But when we encounter death, especially the death of somebody close to us, death often becomes associated with a number. And I wonder what your number is today. Because my father died when he was 40 years old. And ever since then, my number has been 40. That was the number I associated with death. There was a trepidation with that number, and I had to work work through that with the Lord. And this year I turned 41, and that was just really surreal. You don't know the day or the hour. You just need to ask, am I ready? And many of us, including Christians, are afraid to face death. And we're afraid to die for at least a couple reasons. I'll give you a couple categories. First, some of you may be afraid to die because you're uncertain about what comes next. So some of us are sitting in the audience right now and we're afraid to die because we don't know what happens when the lights go out. In fact, you may have listened to this entire series, you may have been coming to this church for many years, and yet you're still afraid to die because you are, you, you are uncertain, you're unwilling to trust your life to Jesus, and so when another life ends, that, that uncertainty looms. Second, you may be unwilling to leave those you love. Some of us are afraid to die because we fear for those who will be left behind, a spouse, a child. We don't want them to experience life without their mom, their dad, their grandparent. It pains you to picture that reality. So you're afraid to die because you're unwilling to leave. Now third, you may feel unfinished with your endeavors. Others of us feel we have more to accomplish. We've been, we've been planning our lives out 20, 30, 40 years. And you're afraid to die because there's, there's so much left to do. Many times people who are focused on the here and now neglect preparing their souls for eternity. Are you afraid to die? Now death is never easy, but it is a reality of life. And it it makes sense in our minds that death should come in old age. But sometimes, like Nick Challies, it's a child. It's it's a miscarriage. It's it's a young parent who passes away. And and then in, in our weeping and in our wailing, And in our sobbing, we cry out like Solomon, meaningless! How do we live in light of this reality? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting on verse 7, Solomon points out, he points us toward an answer and sets up the tension of our passage, youth and old age. And in both stages of life, he says we need to keep our mortal reality in focus. So he says first, light is sweet. And it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now, the phrase light is sweet is a statement about the bliss of simply being alive. So each day we wake up and the first rays of the sun catch our eyes. And we say, thank you, Lord, for another day. 
that's particularly true when we're, when we're young, right? When we're young, we, we're in that sweet season of life when we can do things like athletics. You can stay up all night. You can eat whatever you want without consequence. Our culture tells us that when you're young, you're invincible. We should never suffer. We should live for ourselves. We should find our authentic self at all costs. Death, that, that, it, it's unjust. We shouldn't even think about that. Now, here's the reality, verse, verse 8. He says, when people live to be very old, let them also rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Now, Ecclesiastes 11.8 shows us the pain of old age. And many of us say, amen. <laughs> when you're young, you don't think about your age. When you're old, you think about your age often. My great-grandmother would always tell me, it's tough getting old, Bob. She'd get in the car, she'd get out of the car, it's tough getting old. Our culture tells us, stay young forever. Because when you're old, you start to regret what you missed in your youth. Now it's gone. Death feels like an enemy staring us down as it increasingly grows larger. But, but whether you're young or whether you're old, death will come. It's just a matter of when. How do you live in light of that reality? Now, the end of verse 8 returns us to that key word in our series, the word meaningless. The Hebrew word, you'll remember, is the word hebel. It's mere breath. That's what life is. It's mere breath. It's here. It's gone. Does anything come after this life, though? Well, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon beautifully pointed out, you may remember, that God has planted eternity in the human heart, which is just a beautiful image. Right? And here at the end of the book, he sums up everything. He brings us back to this sent sentiment with all the beauty and the tension that it entails. And so today, I, I just want to, for the, for the rest of our time, I want to laser focus in on one question. How do we live in light of eternity? How do we live in light of eternity? It is eternity that we know deep down is true, but which many of us suppress. Because when we live for eternity, we do not focus merely on life under the sun. Rather, we, we're living with the end in mind. Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, Solomon offers three prohibitions to follow as we live for eternity. And they're just simply this. Don't waste your youth. Don't grumble in old age. And don't settle for the dust. Don't waste your youth. Don't grumble in old age. And don't... Don't, don't settle for the dust. So let's, we're going to look at each one of those, but before we do, let's, let's pray today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. As it comes in power, Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and meet those that are here today, that you would awaken hearts, that you would let the scales fall off of eyes, Lord God, that people would, would trust in you more, Lord. The themes you talk about today in your word are applicable for everyone in this room, Lord. And so I pray that you would draw us to yourself, help us to lift our eyes up and see you, our King and our Creator. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you are a teenager or a young adult, or really if you're anybody under 40, uh, you need to listen for the next few minutes because Solomon is talking specifically to you. Well, maybe he's not just talking to you, but you really are the only ones in the stage of life that can do anything about what he's about to say in the next couple verses. So his exhortation can be summed up in a rather famous saying, which goes like this. Youth is often wasted on the young. Youth is often wasted 
on the young. In other words, far too many people miss out on the opportunities of their youth because they neglect Ecclesiastes 3.11. Eternity has been planted in your hearts. Too many young people miss out on the opportunities of their youth because they only focus on the immediate life under the sun. Don't miss your youth, he says. Before you realize it, it's gone. Poof! Tebble. I'll give you an example. When you're young, you have the freedom, the freedom to try new things, to meet new people, to travel to new places. In fact, I still remember the first time I ever got on a plane and I went to visit California, and I was 19 years old, and I was introduced to a very novel restaurant called In-N-Out Burger. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, Man, bit of a novelty out there. But all my college friends thought they had discovered heaven on earth, which included a double-double cheeseburger with animal-style fries topped off with a delicious milkshake. And as the young ones say, or they used to say, holla. That's right. This was wonderful. It was awesome. Now, here's the thing. When you're 19 years old, with all the metabolism that affords you, You can eat plenty of double-doubles without blinking an eye. But before you know it, your eyes blink. You're sporting gray hair. And all you do is look at a double-double and you will gain 10 pounds. Now, I don't care how delicious the double-double is. At this point in my life, it is not worth the two-day recovery period after the meal to have one. Can I get an amen? Yes, that's right. Those of you you under 40, you, you will learn, my young Padawan. You will. In and out, it is hebel. It's hebel. Now, there's something, my point is, there's some things you can only do in your youth, so don't waste it. And I'll tell you why. It's not about you. Life is not about you. It's about the glory of God. And the sooner you learn that, the greater impact you will make on the world. In fact, right now, turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about me. You can do better than that. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about me. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's about the glory of God. That's right. How do you keep from wasting your youth? Solomon offers three words in the next couple verses. And I need you to preach them back to me, right? So I was getting you warmed up. Three words. Rejoice, remove, remember. All right? One, two, three. Let's say them together. Rejoice, remove, remember. All right. That's right. We're training up some future preachers today. So Solomon says this in 11.9. He says, rejoice. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and young lady, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Rejoice. It's an imperative. Now, I know the ESV says young man, but he's talking to ladies too here. He says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. When? In your youth. Oh, my goodness, when you're young, you got so much to rejoice. Life is ahead of you, right? Opportunity, excitement, possibility. Be a young person with a cheerful heart, and you will stand out in the crowd. So Solomon is not saying here, you're young, but don't forget, one day you're going to be old and frail. No, he's not saying that. He is saying, you are young. Make the most of it. Use your youth for the glory of God. And so if you're a teen, if you're a young adult, I want to exhort you right now. Too many people waste their youth and their vitality focusing on frivolous things. Life under the sun. Instead, rejoice. Do you want to be like the crowd or do you want to be different? Lord, would we raise up a generation of young people who are rejoicers, who show the world what it means to truly 
rejoice. And the teenage parents out there said, amen. That's right, I heard that, okay. Solomon says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now, this verse is a little confusing because didn't, if you know the book of Judges, didn't, didn't the book of Judges say that we shouldn't do what's right in our own eyes? But that's not what Solomon's saying here. He's saying, I should say, the first phrase could be translated, go where your heart goes. Now, the heart in this context is pointing us toward the imagination and the desires of a person. In other words, if there's a dream you have, go for it. The phrase, the sight of your eyes, indicates the actual destination you want to reach. So if I'm going to use my in and out analogy, let's just say in your youth, you're dreaming about animal-style fries in your heart, and then you see an in and out sign with your eyes, you can then choose to go to that destination. But Solomon offers a very tempered warning. He says this, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So depending on how many fries you have, there may be judgment. And that may be a silly illustration, but the, the point is this. In your youth, you have a passion and a zest for life. You have dreams and ambitions, many of which come from God. But, but our decisions have consequences. And so you must always seek God before making decisions. Don't selfishly ignore him for your gain. Rejoice in the opportunities before you. Now, second, if you don't want to waste your youth, you need to remove some things in your life. And you say, like, what? Well, I could mention a number of examples, but Solomon brings out one big one. He says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They're meaningless. Now, remove vexation from your heart, he says. Other translations use the word anxiety, the NIV, sorrow, the NASB, worry, the NLT. But the Hebrew word is kahas, and it's most often translated as provocation or vexation. So I think the ESV gets it right. Why? Because vexation is any problem that causes us to worry and have concern. It is a bitterness provoked by a hard and disappointing world, which is what Solomon's been talking about the whole book. In other words, the sorrow, the pain, the anxiety of life are causing you vexation in your heart. And again, it's been a key theme in Ecclesiastes, and it's a lesson you need to learn in your youth. Life is hard. You don't get everything you want. You will face challenges physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But when trials come, you have a choice. You can trust God, or you can spend your life grumbling. So Solomon says, remove vexation, kill it. He cautions us, youth and the dawn of life are, are, are vanity. In other words, you're born, you're young, and then you're not. It's fleeting. Remove vexation before it consumes you. Now let me tell you something right now. Too many people complain in this world. And that goes for young people, and it goes for older people, as we're going to see in just a moment. In fact, our culture, I think, incentivizes us to complain. Right? If you complain, if you want to let people know about your vexation, you can get anything you want. Right? This coffee's too hot. It's too cold. That person driving in front of me, they're too slow. That person did not like. No, they did not love my social media post. We are a complaining people. And now we have the internet and social media, and, and here's what we do. Now we just pick up our phone, we open an app, and we start typing. Oh my gosh, can you, can you believe what this person just did? Post! You tell everybody about it. 
Hashtag vexed. You know what God tells me every time I start to complain? Stop. Stop wasting your life complaining. And especially don't waste your youth being a complainer. Remove that vexation. Instead, you should remember. Now, what's interesting, in your youth, our memory is the best it's ever going to be. And yet we so quickly forget the lessons we should learn. So Ecclesiastes 12.1, Solomon offers up perhaps the most important lesson of the whole book. He says, remember also your creator, God, Jesus, in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. When? When you're young. And that's crucial because viewing God as your creator provides an accurate picture of the world and reality. Now over the years as a pastor, I've I've heard a lot of people's stories. I've heard a lot of people give testimony about how God has worked in their lives. And sometimes I'll hear a story about somebody who came to Christ later in life or somebody who grew up in the church, but they wandered around for a bit and then they came back. And when I hear those stories, do you know what I hear people say? People say, I wish I followed Jesus earlier. I really do, Pastor. I wish I followed him earlier. Do you know what I never hear? Man, I'm so glad I ignored God when I was young. I never hear that. Too many people waste their youth ignoring their creator. And what Solomon says is this, remember, don't ignore. Because God wants your heart. That's what you were made for. He wants you to seek him. And here's the truth. If we live a life ignoring God in our youth, there will be consequences. Now people often think how they live in their youth is not going to affect them later on. But I got to tell you, it does. You know, young people think, I'm missing out, FOMO, I'm missing out on all that stuff everybody else is doing. The culture is telling me I need, to, I need to sleep with a bunch of people in order to find satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment. It's not hurting anybody. But later on, if you decide to get married, you bring all that baggage into your marriage. To ignore God in your youth is to live a life of regret in old age. Yes, God brings redemption, but it is better not to have ignored him in the first place. Author David Gibson captures the reality really well. He says, sin may seem pleasant to us now, but we must not forget how it will appear when we get past it and turn back to look on it. Especially, we must, we must especially keep in mind how it will seem from a dying pillow. Nothing brings such pure peace and quiet joy at the close as a well-lived past. How important that we live pure and holy lives, because even forgiven sins will mar the peace of old age, for the ugly scars will remain. Don't waste your youth. Stop complaining. Rejoice. Identify vexation and remove it. Don't ignore God. Remember him in the days of your youth. And then you'll look back and say, my life was well lived. And the truth is, you never know when your life is going to end. I mean, Nick Challies, he had no idea, probably no idea he was going to die at 20 years old. But before he did, he was trying to live his life every day for Jesus. Don't focus on life solely under the sun. Live in light of eternity. So how, how we live in our youth is foundational for our lives. But the truth is, as Solomon states, youth is fleeting. Eventually we age, which gets us to Solomon's second exhortation. Don't grumble in old age. 
Don't grumble in old age. Now, Ecclesiastes 12.1 is a, is a hinge verse. It hits the young people, but it also gets to older folks. He says, remember your creator before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. All right, so your youth and then you're going to get older and there's going to be dark days. Now, when you're young, typically you have health and you have opportunity. The weight of responsibility is less. And if you can't remember God then, he says, what chance do you have in old age? Because you see, at some point we move from optimism to pessimism. In fact, I think it begins in middle age. Now that I'm here, I can just say, I'm way grumpier than I was 15 years ago. My wife will attest. In my 20s, oh my goodness, I was flexible. Oh, I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. In my 40s, I have a schedule. Okay, I got a schedule. Don't mess with it. In my 20s, youth group all-nighters sounded like an amazing idea. Oh, we're going to reach kids for Jesus. Now, go to bed. It's 11 o'clock. My kids wake up in the middle of the night, watch the bear come out. Now, friends, at some point, we move from laughter to grumpiness. Are there any grumpy people out there? Yeah, it's true, right? I mean, it's, it's okay, it's okay, right? When our bodies get older, we don't, and they don't work like they should, and, and we realize nobody knows everything, nobody knows anything except for us, right? And our tempers become shorter. We move from rejoicing in the light of the sun of our youth to grumbling about the darkness of old age. Now, David Gibson, again, he's really helpful here. He just simply says it straight up. He says, grumpiness is a sin. Grumpiness is a sin. It is, I think, particularly endemic among males. It's the kind of sin we tolerate and smile at. The kind we indulge as we return to the castle of our home and find it to be not completely to our liking. It's an emotion we cherish in our man caves, the twilight of a day ruined by interruptions and hassles for small children and annoying people. It's an attitude of the heart and mind, nurtured by the reign of self-pity and from which the subjects of our self-made kingdom can suffer great harm because they have not treated us as we think we deserve. Gentlemen, is this true of anybody? We tend to grumble in old age and live up to this image. Just get off my lawn, right? <laughs> now I know what's happening right now. All the ladies right now are just, just elbowing their husbands, right, 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 grabbing his leg. See, maybe you'll listen to him, right? But ladies, just to be fair, I know many women who are grumpy and like to complain because grumpiness breaks down the wall between male and female. And I'll just leave it there and let the Holy Spirit do his work. <laughs> it's also a topic in your small group questions this week, so you can, you can really dig in. Now, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 7 is a poem about old age. So after Solomon exhorts us to rejoice in our youth, he paints a picture of the future. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 grounds the young and the old in a theological principle. Remember your creator. It starts in your youth, but it doesn't end there. It's a whole life effort. So no matter what happens, you've got to look to the king, he says. Now that imperative is followed by three temporal clauses using the word before. So think of it as like a before vitamin shot teaching you to remember your creator. Look at verse 1. Again, he says, before, remember your creator, before the evil days come. And the years draw, draw to a close when you're going to say, I have, no, I have no pleasure in them. 
This is an immediate contrast with the days of youth, which is filled with vigor and energy. Old age often involves pain and slowness and frustration. And while death doesn't occur right away, you know that many years of pain can lead up to death. And then grumpiness flows from a heart of ingratitude due to the pain we're experiencing and we don't think we should experience. As we age, we tend to get depressed about the loss of youth rather than focusing on the blessings God may be bringing to us. And we buy the cultural lie that says we have to idolize youth. No matter what stage of life you're in, though, i got to tell you, God is not done with you. God is doing something in your life right now. But if you ignore God in old age, just like you can do it in, in, the, in your youth, you're, you're going to miss what God's doing. Instead, we, we're going to spend our lives looking for the proverbial fountain of youth and attempting to cheat death. So we take that supplement, right? We, we try that new therapy, right? We take that drug that's going to cure old age. And we do this because we're afraid of the next before. So Ecclesiastes 12, 2-6, Solomon poetically describes the aging and slow, the process of aging and the slow process of dying many of, many of us will face. One author astutely observed, we do not wholly die at our deaths. Yes, our death is a culmination of the dying process. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had a bunch of images of animals. In the next few verses, Solomon is going to paint a very vivid uh, picture of death. And he starts in verse 2. He says, before the sun, so there's the before, before the sun, and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Now notice he comes back to the image of the sun and light. Right? In verse 7, Solomon uses that as a description of youth. Seeing the sun and the light produces joy. But here, everything that produces light is gone. Right? Instead, even after it rains, the clouds come back. There's just unending clouds. They never go away. In fact, I hear that's what it's like to live in Seattle or London. I've been to both, Sorry. Solomon says that's what old age can feel like. It's like living in London. Then he continues. He says, in that day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed, pause, all these images are metaphors for physical decay as we age. So the keepers of the house refer to our hands and our arms. So in your youth, they're, they're strong, they're flexible, they're they're full of dexterity, but then as you age, they become arthritic and painful to move. All you young people out there who like to go to the gym, one day the gun show will end. The strong men are bent, is our legs. And as we age, they stop being able to bear our weight, let alone the weight of anything else. Does anybody have trouble getting up off the floor? The grinders are our teeth. I like to call this the denture clause. The enamel is worn down so far that we have to move to a liquid diet. Can you imagine what it's like when you can't chew food? Some of us might be living that right now. Windows are our eyes now covered in, in cataracts, unable to be repaired. The days of 20-20 vision and driving at night, they're long gone. LASIK can't even help you. All you young people out there, Solomon says, this is what you can look forward to. Unless somebody invents some cybernetic body. It's part of life. And then he keeps going. Verse 4, he says, And the doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Now, the doors refer to our ears. 
Because eventually our hearing goes. I'm sorry, what did you say? Can you speak up? Or, or, or you start asking a loved one why the TV volume is up so loud. Right? Hearing aids are a very lucrative market for some business owners. The, rise, the rising up at the sound of a bird indicates an inability to sleep as we age. Does anybody have their tr- trouble sleeping as you get older? Yeah. And it's not just that. Verse 5, he says, they're afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. So being afraid of what is high means you're, you're a fall risk. Why? Because balance becomes a problem in old age. Has anybody ever seen an almond tree blossom? Right? It turns white, like the hair of old age, which, by the way, is beautiful. My favorite image is the grasshopper. That's what I like to call my youngest daughter because she loves to jump and hop all over our bed and give me a heart attack because she's going to fall off one of these days. But if you're a young grasshopper, you sprain an ankle, you're back up in 30 seconds. When you age and you sprain an ankle, you need a, you need a hip replacement. Well, not, you need a joint replacement. And even then, when that happens, you're still, you're still kind of dragging yourself along, Right? the picture he's painting of old age right here. Now finally, desire failing refers to sexual desire, which is worthy to mention because ironically, this is where so many young people seem to find their meaning and identity nowadays. Certainly in the secular world, but also in in the Christian world at times. But this is eventually going to fade. It's not lasting, and it makes a terrible God. This is the process of slowly dying over many years. And Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth so that it becomes a whole life endeavor. So you remember him in your old age too. Why? Because eventually life is going to get painful. And some of us know this firsthand. And and we may not just forget God. We may even get angry at God and lead to a bitter life in the last days. Is that what you want? Now, before we finish, Solomon gives us one final vitamin shot. Verse 6, it's the nail in the coffin. He says, there's the third. Before, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. These are the final images before death. The silver cord holding the lamp snaps. The bowl, the fountain, the cistern, all containing water, The symbol of life, they're destroyed, they're shattered, it flows out. This is the end. This is the final disintegration. And this is where it gets personal. Because sadly, many of us have watched people we love walk this path. We've seen the shattered cistern and water of life flowing out. It's the path of cancer. It's the path of dementia. It's the path of Parkinson's and ALS, and so many, so many other diseases. The strong people we once knew fade away. And it's devastating. It's painful. You know, I'm in the phase of life with little kids. Changing diapers is common. In my house, my little one, sometimes it's like changing the diaper of a grasshopper. Lots of kicking. But as I studied the passage this week, I was reminded of the words of a mentor who once said to me, all of us come into this world in diapers. And some of us will leave the world in diapers. 
which is a rather sobering and humbling thought. Young, old, death comes for us all. Before that day, how will you live? Because in the midst of this process, we can grumble, we can complain like so many people, or we can heed the imperative of verse 1, remember your creator. This, Solomon says, is how we avoid wasting our youth. And it's also how we, have, how we combat grumbling in old age. Because our lives, he says, must model creator centrality. And this is the heart behind so many of the church, the historic church creeds and catechisms. Right? If you don't know, a catechism is a, is a question and answer format that communicates key doctrines to memory. So, for example, the Heidelberg Catechism very famously reminds us of our relationship with our Creator in death in its opening question. And the answer, the whole answer is worthy of saying. What is our only comfort in life and death? What's our only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own but belong body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully, fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What a reminder of how to reorient our life. What a reminder of how to live in in light of eternity. Now, if that's too long for you, the Gospel Coalition recently wrote a new, shorter catechism, the New City Catechism, which captures the same sentiment, just a little shorter. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope today? Parents, are you passing on that hope to your children in their youth? Now, just to plug, the New City Catechism has an app, and they've placed all these truths to song. In fact, every day I take my daughter to school, and she comes in, and she goes, Daddy, I want to hear the questions. Let's do the questions. Because they have these beautiful, catchy songs. Here's, here's, let me just give you a sample. Here's verse 1, question 1 of the New City Catechism. Listen to the song right now. going, but you get the idea. This is just some beautiful lyrics, beautiful songs, lots of great questions. Friends, if you want to not waste your youth, if you want to stop grumbling in old age, you have to know what your only hope in life and death is, that we're not our own, but belong to our creator and to his son, Jesus Christ, who purchased us with his blood. And because of that, we can live out the final point, don't settle for the dust. Don't settle for the dust. Now, what does that mean? Well, Solomon connects the experience of old age in verses 2 to 6 to verse 5. He says this, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners 
go about the streets. Now, death ends, by God's grace, with a funeral and people mourning the loss. If you circle that phrase, eternal home, it can literally be translated, you're going to the house of eternity. And that phrase reinforces the finality of death, the place of no return. But from the New Testament perspective, we know that death is not the end. That eternity is real. And we, if, we know our, our, if we know our creator through Jesus Christ, we have an eternal home. This verse echoes the truth throughout the scriptures. Remember, God has planted eternity in our hearts. And again, too many people ignore this reality. Instead, they settle for the dust. Look at verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, there's two realities in this verse. Number one, yes, our bodies are dust. Recalling Genesis 2. We are formed from dust, and our bodies will return to dust. But look at that second part. The Hebrew word for spirit is the word ruach. It's the Hebrew word for our life force, our life breath, I should say. Even though our physical bodies return to dust, the ruach lives on. Put simply, he says, we are not, we are more than dust. 1 Corinthians 15 promises resurrected bodies in the new heavens and new earth. My point is this, when it comes to death and eternity, too many people settle for the dust. They only focus on life under the sun, and they miss the promise of eternal salvation offered in Jesus Christ. They don't live in light of eternity. Now, I'll give you an example. I saw a recent article this week which highlighted actor Sam Neill, and he famously played Dr. Alan Grant in the Jurassic Park movie franchise, spent plenty of time on screen escaping Tyrannosaurus Rex and Velociraptors. But he can't escape an aggressive stage 3 blood cancer, which he now has. He's in remission, he's going back to work, he's trying to live life, but he made one statement in an interview that caught my ear. He said this, I'm not afraid to die, but it would annoy me, because I'd really like another decade or two, you know? Death would really annoy him. Why? Because he wants another 20 years or so to live under the sun. And that's not answering the question in light of eternity. And this is what I mean by when I say don't settle for the dust. Because life is not all dust. Too often people focus on the temporal and we don't focus on the eternal. And this is what's crazy. Eternity is forever. And so many people don't seem concerned about it. We're concerned about the, the 70, 80 years, 90 we're going to live here on earth too many people only focus on the sun, and they don't live for life beyond the sun. They ignore their creator in their youth and old age and everything in between. As Solomon says, if you don't want to settle for the dust, today is the day to remember your creator. Today is the day to remember your creator. And friends, listen, if you've been with us for this entire series... This right here is the main idea of the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaning, purpose, time, suffering, money, risk, wisdom, all of that. He says ignoring God in all of that, it's foolishness. The only way to live the good life is to be creator-centric and eternity-focused. Because when you know the creator of the universe, through his son Jesus Christ, life is truly worth living. 
It is only then that you will find true hope and peace in the face of death. It's that hope that carried somebody like Tim Challies through that season of sorrow when he lost his son. I can't imagine that pain or that despair, that mourning, but, but Tim Challies knew about eternity. He knew that this life is not the end. And because of that reality, he could write these words. He says, and so I know in my heart of hearts that I've said goodbye for now, that I've said farewell for a while, that Nick has, been sent, has not been sent away, but merely been sent ahead to the place where death is no more, where mourning and pain and sorrow are gone where God has already wiped away every tear, and where my son is now waiting safely and patiently for his father to join him. Friends, we are more than dust. Don't settle for it. The hope of every Christian, the hope of Easter, which we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks, is this. Death is defeated. How do we live in light of eternity? Don't waste your youth. Don't grumble in old age. Don't settle for the dust. But the only way we can do that is by knowing our Creator through Jesus Christ and remembering Him in everything we do. And listen, church, I got to tell you, this is the only thing that matters. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back on stage. They got one final really, really moving song they're going to lead us in. But as they come, just, I got to be honest, can I just plead with you for a second? A lot of people have come up to, to me, Pastor Dave, and said they've really enjoyed and they've benefited from this series. And praise God. But please don't think, please, please, please don't think that this message series is about good life advice or coaching. Yes, Solomon touches on a bunch of key life issues. Yes, he does. But the only thing that matters, the only thing, the only message we have, the only thing that will save you, the only thing that will turn your life upside down is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he is calling you today. Today is the day to remember your creator. To give your life to the king of the universe, Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, whose blood was poured out to purchase us, to offer us the hope of an eternal life. He died and rose again so you can know for certain that death is defeated once and for all, that the gospel is not hebel, it's eternal. Everything else, yes, meaningless. Meaningless. And what I'm telling you today is it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Give your life to Christ, and you'll never have to fear death again. So I want to close with that question from the New City Catechism. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask the question, and I want you to answer it back to me. So let's stand together. I'll ask the question. You say the answer. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul. Amen. Today is the day to remember your Creator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your glory, Lord. Thank you for the gospel and that it is not meaningless, but that it is eternal, Lord. That there's a promise of eternal life if we surrender our lives to you, Lord Jesus. And Solomon in his way, has been pointing us to that, Lord. 
reminding us about the reality of life under the sun, but pushing us to life beyond the sun. Help us to lift our eyes right now and look forward with hope because of what you have done for us, Jesus. We pray that in your name. Amen.